Who are you and why are you doing this? We are bad men and for the money. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy weekend. Happy Saturday to you, everyone. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And as we usually do on Saturdays, almost always, in fact, we get to work with tall guy Nathan Miller. We like to nickname him Nathan Detroit. Good morning and afternoon, Gary and Suzanne, and I think I'm starting to believe Hunksatani Phil. I am freezing over here. Oh yeah, oh, that's don't, too don't bad. call Phil no liar. That's no, he's talking about. <laughs> By the way, have you ever even seen Detroit? Have you ever been to Detroit? We call you Nathan Detroit. I don't know if you've that's been. That's the only with... song that has Nathan in it that I know of. <laughs> Nathan may not have ever been within shouting distance of Detroit. Have ever told you about the story of me thinking of Detroit and? How I thought it was in Texas this whole time for the longest time growing up. I always thought Detroit was in Texas. And suddenly my parents corrected me and said, hey, you know, uh, Detroit's in Michigan, right? I was like, no, it's in Texas. I know it's in Texas. Well, uh, sure enough, yeah, Detroit is in Michigan, but that's the big Detroit. There's a little teeny tiny Detroit also in Texas. Oh, (laughs) one one of those. (laughs) So I was not wrong. Yeah, uh, one of those names that shows up in multiple places. And Gary and I will see that on the Weather Channel, where they'll show uh, cities with the same name in different states. Like, you know, the weather here in this Detroit is here, but over here, this is what the weather is in this Detroit. (laughs) I think that's pretty fun. It also could be confusing, and I guess that's the reason we better make sure we've got our zip codes on there. Otherwise, your mails could go to the wrong place. Exactly. Or... When I go to the East Coast, I always got to clarify which Washington I'm from, because they always think I'm from D.C. if I say I'm from Washington. That's why we get accustomed out there. I said this for years and years when I lived there. It's Washington State. So you say, oh, they go, oh, okay, yeah, out there, you know. But if you say Washington, like those characters in Washington or the mess in Washington, you know, they're not necessarily (laughs) talking about. Let's see how old Olympia. <laughs> Sometimes there's overlap. We understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But be that as it may, glad to be working with you as always, Nathan. Likewise. And today we get to bring back Joey Medea. I have been looking forward to this. I was conceptualizing what kind of show we could do today. And then last night, having watched on Facebook, it's available to anybody who goes to Facebook and looks up Joey Medea. There, you can find out about the distinctly American tendency historically for cults to form often, perhaps most often with tragic results. That's our subject today with two cults that failed spectacularly, tragically being the focus and perhaps others by reference. But wow, there's a lot of that in American history, especially Suzanne in modern American history. Uh, Yes. And interestingly enough, next month we are going to be on air 16 years this is a topic we've never covered until today. Well, so, we better get to it. But a first time topic for us. And we're interested in hearing what Joey Medea has to say. He's now in his 13th year as an investigator, researcher, and experiencer of the paranormal. He was mentored by world-renowned author and TV personality, Rosemary 
Alan Guiley, also a friend of Gary and me, for nearly a decade. When he's not investigating or writing about high strangeness, Joey is a screenwriter, playwright, novelist, actor, director, and escape room designer. He has written the book and lyrics for Mothman Was Here for American Lore Theater, an immersive folklore production company for whom he is also the lead story designer. He is the writer and puzzle designer of the Mothman Museum Escape Room in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where you and I visited, Gary, and three other escape rooms with paranormal themes in Scotland and North Carolina. Joey applies the skills of a story analyst and training in a variety of spiritual systems to his paranormal investigations. And we are very happy to welcome him back for the 10th time. Welcome to Manson Mitchell, Joey Medea. Thank you both. I'm honored. We are honored and we are excited to talk about this topic that we have never talked about before but which is intriguing. And Gary got this idea from something that you had posted and a show that you you did of your own. We'll talk about that on the break, how people can find all of that. And uh, it was one of the things that you said truly stuck out for me. And that was during your broadcast, you said, people are intrigued by serial killers and by cults. And I just went, oh, my God, yes, intrigued by serial killers and cults. I don't know how you put those two together, but I think you, you're you really onto something there. I think there's a lot of overlap in the personalities that engage in those. And, and it's a matter of level. Um, I've been in, um, interested in them forever. And podcasts and documentaries. I mean, Netflix uh, just had the Jeffrey Dahmer documentary. Um, and plus then a story about him with uh, Evan Peters. That was very good. Ryan Murphy from American Horror Story did it. And when we talk today, what's interesting to me, what, what I'm really interested in at this point in these topics is how many opportunities they are to stop these people that get missed personally, publicly, by the people themselves. Sometimes they almost turn themselves in. Uh, so I hope we can cover some of that today. We absolutely will. Yes. And that's why I wanted to be a little bit binary, Joey, because they're listening to your show, which was a full exposition of cultism, particularly spiritual cultism. They're uh, bordering on science fiction quite and borrowing from it, as far as I can tell. There, that you did such a beautiful job, you and your partner, Craig Ansel. And the idea was, you know, there are motivations. And what you revealed to me for the first time by my watching this last night was that one person's motivation is completely opposite or diametrically opposed to the true believer type of motivation of another leader. But in both cases, it leads to catastrophe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some of the other topics that we covered on the show that night were the Rajneeshis in Oregon. So this is a this is an Eastern or an Indian wisdom, the sort of guru 
kind of thing. Uh, there's the children of God and David Koresh. These are very deeply religious. You know, a lot of people said to us, well, why aren't you doing the Manson family? Why aren't you doing Nexium? Those are different creatures. That's a different kind of cult leader. Although Manson played with the idea of being a Jesus figure. But then you have someone like Daniel Perez, right? The Angels Landing Commune. Not a lot of people know about that. But under the guise of being an angel who could heal and protect and predict the future, he was a pedophile. That was his motivation. So these parents willingly gave over their children to this figure. So you're, you're absolutely right. The motivations differ. Um, we're going to talk about um, Jim Jones and People's Temple, and we're going to talk about Marshall Applewhite and Heaven's Gate primarily today. The motivations are world apart and how it unfolded, who backed them, what these two men were like psychologically, um, and yet both resulted in dozens of deaths. Let us work chronologically then, Joey. I figured uh, let's do that because there's there's one thing that happens, and then years later, you just you scratch your head and wonder, why do people not enlighten themselves or at least educate themselves? How can people be drawn in to these transparently phony organizations, but for the people and their supporters in high places who keep them in place. That's a, you know what that reminds me of, Joey? It reminds me of watching a slow, slow motion in your mind, a slow motion train wreck. You see it, you know, it's going to happen. You know, that locomotive is going over the cliff and you're screaming for everybody to get out, get out of the way. And yet you can't stop it. You're there observing disaster. That's right. They get a certain momentum. And what happens is for every expose, for every investigative journalist, for every suspicious politician, for every um, upset parent who's lost their teenage child and is screaming at the top of their lungs, there is someone who is somehow saying, no, 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 this is misrepresented. You're misunderstanding. This isn't like all those other guys. This is pure. This is religious. This is. And that's what we find in both of these cases so then going chronologically if you will joey tell us take us back in time and, and i remember it all too clearly harrowingly just watching this unfold over days but with the perspective of time let's begin with J this individual jim jones what he was able to create what he was able to sustain and ultimately what happened as a result Right. Okay. And I'll take little breaths here and there so so you folks can interdict. But uh he was a reverend. He was a Pentecostal mist uh Pentecostal minister. He founded the People's Temple in 1954. So it didn't it was another 34 years before this came to a conclusion. So three and a half decades. Now Jones is interesting. Jones was a Marxist and he used his church as a platform to push those kinds of things. Uh, he had belonged to other uh, groups such as like the Disciples of Christ. He was actually ordained in the Disciples of Christ 10 years later. Then he begins to play the con artist game. I think the same as Rasputin, maybe, and people like that who had also studied legitimately. And he claims to be a faith healer. If anyone has seen um, the Andy Kaufman biopic with uh, Jim Carrey, Man in the Moon, um, when Andy gets cancer, he travels to, to India 
and a man it looks like he's taking the cancer out of his body well jim jones did this kinds of things and used chicken livers he proclaimed himself to be jesus christ to give himself that larger authority that allows people to invest in him and i want to take a moment to say that people and we had a recent president where his followers were were accused, you know, in books by serious journalists of being cultists. Um, these are not kooky, uneducated, impoverished people who wind up in these cults. They're people with money. They're people with college educations. They're people with fairly high IQs. So Jones is doing all of these kind of messiahfications of himself. But then he begins to, you know, within this decade, decade and a half, he begins to take a darker turn into control, right? The people have come in. Now he wants to solidify his control over them. So ironically, decades earlier, he would give someone a cup and say, there's poison in this. If you believe in me, if you have faith in me, if you have faith in the temple, drink the poison in this cup. And it was all a test, but people did it. He had a paddle, uh, two and a half feet long wood called the Board of Education. And he would hit people with this board during congregation meetings. He would use rubber hoses. He called them catharsis sessions. And my wife, Tanya, who you know, and I, again, intelligent, educated, you know, fairly well-to-do people. Uh, we had a little of experience with one of these cult-like churches uh, about 20 years ago, and they did not quite that, but but other things. He would uh, make them sign confessions of their wrongdoings. Tanya and I left this church that we were starting to attend when they asked us to each go separately and write down all of our sins to give to them as a record. So this stuff wow. still happens. Yeah, this stuff still happens. Uh, he would use sleep deprivation. He would use sensory deprivation. And they started to get a very high profile. They were located, they had been in other places, Ukiah and other places like that, but they settle in San Francisco as they start to get big. But by the early 70s, uh, exposés are coming out about them. Uh, one man for the San Francisco Examiner writes seven articles, well, eight articles. Only four of them are published because after, by the time of the fourth article, there is so much pushback. There is so much defense against this church that, that welcomes African Americans, that, uh, is, is Marxist socialist and is for freedom, who has this very charismatic leader who's taking photos with the mayor of San Francisco, George Moscone, uh, with Vice President Mondale, with Governor Jerry Brown, with Harvey Milk, um, who was famous for having, you know, been killed in 1978, which was actually attached to this. And so the heat starts to come on. But Jones is entrenched. All of his people are trained in letter writing. Upwards of hundreds of letters a week they're writing in a variety of political issues. Their kids all attend the best, most elitist San Francisco high schools. One was called Opportunity High School. Well, this all starts to come out and everyone is screaming, Oh, they're horrible. Oh, they beat their people. Oh, he's stolen my teenager. But an equal amount of people, including these high-level politicians in San Francisco. As a matter of fact, in 1976, two years before the tragedy, 
Jones is appointed to the San Francisco Housing Authority by the mayor. These exposés have already been coming out. Accusations are already being made. So they decide to reload to, to Guyana. Um, I'll pause there and see if you guys have questions, comments. Yes, where point. is Guyana? Guyana <laughs> is, um, so it is uh, It's near the South American border near Venezuela. Ah, so he okay. starts to port his people over with a lot of support. Um, they get, I think, 27 uh, I'm I'm going to wait and see here in my notes. I don't want to mistake the wrong thing. But they start leaving a little at a time and they start taking $50,000 a piece. Because another thing Jones did was uh, not tithing. I don't know what you would call it, but 40% of everything that you owned, including uh, physical real estate property, went to the church. So at the time that they uh, made the exodus to Guyana, uh, they had a about uh, well over half a million dollars in holdings, okay, which is a typical thing. Uh, Tanya and I, again, with that church, uh, we were going to have to tithe. When we went over other church members' homes, we noticed there were no wall decorations. There was minimum furniture. Their cars were very old. So this kind of thing, again, this kind of thing happens. And I misspoke myself, five million at a zero. $5 million in holdings they had. So they start exporting this money because now people are saying, oh, the kids get special treatment in the high school. Um, Jones resigns from all his positions and he begins to go. So they all wind up in Guyana. He sort of sends a lead group. Then he's starting to push people over. Then he arrives with his family. So it's a 27,000-acre property, I remembered correctly, near the village of Port Catuma along the northern border with Venezuela. That's exactly where it was. 27,000 acres for what becomes known as Jonestown. So now the question, and this is really important because there are people who say, well, Jones was, you know, on the side of minorities and nobody else will. During all of this pushback, as they're beginning to leave town, um, the, the vocalization of what is going on is that 80% of the church are minorities and 90% of the people bashing them are white. So this is very, very much kind of becomes a bit of a, of a, of a race war. Um, but I have to tell folks the truth. Yes, the cult was made up of minorities, um, mentally ill, wards of the state, poor people, and all of the upper level management of the people's temple was white. So perception and reality, that's what these cult leaders do, perception and reality. Um, it came to find out that he ordered the death of people who left uh, the people's temple. Strays, they called them. So by September of 1977, they're in Guyana. So this lasts about 14 months. Now it starts to get very militant. The IRS is sending word from America that they're investigating their political activity, right? Uh, churches, nonprofits are not supposed to gauge in overt political activity. And they start to have things called white nights. 
There are these meetings, N-I-G-H-T. They start to have things like the six-day siege where they all get together. And Jim Jones is saying, people are trying to shoot me. Uh, you know, a bullet just missed me. They're reporting in the States that he's been shot. He says, I have reason to believe that our organization is in imminent danger. And this is where they begin to talk about revolutionary suicide. Because Governor Jones, uh, Governor Brown, Governor Jerry Brown is abandoning him and going, I was only considering putting him on the State Board of Corrections. Could you imagine? Jim Jones was being floated by the governor of California for the federal corrections, for the state corrections system. Um, he has a doctor in Guyana. The man's name is Larry Schacht. And the Guyanese government won't give this guy a permanent license, only a, a temporary license. This leads to another white night. White night is where all of these members, almost a thousand members of the People Temple, encircle their camp with any weapons they can find, from pitchforks to hammers to, you know, clubs and different things like this. Larry Schacht, why did they get so upset? Why was everybody so upset that Larry Schacht only gets a temporary license? He's overseeing a pharmacy. With quaaludes, Valium, Morphine, Demerol, Thorazine, Sodium Pentothal, you name it. Thallium used to confuse thinking. So they're controlling all these people. When we move to Heaven's Gate, keep this in mind. They're controlling these people through drugs. He's saying they're coming after us. We're being persecuted. Hey, if you're the Messiah, you want to play persecution. That's your card. Right. That's your ace in the hole. Yes. Um, Harvey Milk, February of 1978. Keep in mind everything I just told you. Harvey Milk is still writing letters to who? Not to local constituents, to President Jimmy Carter saying Reverend Jim Jones. And this is a quote is a man of the highest character who has undertaken constructive remedies for social problems. He's drugging his people. He's pulling people from, from mental wards and wards of the state. And he's really going against the typology of what types of people tend to make up a cult. I'll pause there. Questions, comments, or? Uh, well, the first thing I would want to say is that whatever people might think of the personality and policies of former Governor Jerry Brown, twice the governor of California, that I've followed at some distance his career. And it's astonishing to me, Joey, because I don't know anyone, no matter how opposed they may be to Jerry Brown politically, I know of no one who doubts the quality of his intellect. And right. so what I draw from that is if Jerry Brown or a seasoned politician like George Moscone, uh, the late Mayor Moscone of San Francisco, these were nobody's fools. They were men of intellect, men of political power, and they had their own vision. If they can be taken in by someone like a Jim Jones, anybody could, particularly if you come from among the most vulnerable aspects of your community. Right. Right. So, so, and, and, and there are larger aspects that we'll get to, but, but by May, um, things are starting to break down. Some people are managing to get out, a few, not many. There's a group of over 50 uh, former members of, of the People's Temple whose children 
are still with Jim Jones. So the children chose him over their parents. That's another important marker of this. And they call themselves the concerned relatives. And they start uh, signing uh, petitions. They're trying to out their experiences. And this is where they get the attention of Congressman Leo Ryan. This brings us into mid-October uh, of 1978. Um, students are starting to profess their willingness to die, former high school students, as far as this revolutionary suicide. This is all getting back to Ryan. Ryan gets an audience with a teenager who had escaped the cult, invites him to, to Washington, D.C., invites the parents of another student. He's, he's very, uh, with these concerned relatives. So November one, he writes to Jim Jones and says, listen, Reverend, um, I'm going to come to Guyana and I'd like to look things over and I'd like you to give me a tour and I'd like you to cooperate. Well, the people, of course, 600 of the residents of the 900 signed a petition saying, we don't want to talk to Ryan. We don't want him on our property. We don't want him here. But they don't get their way. One of the guys that signs this petition is a guy named Larry Layton Jr. Just keep that name in mind. Um, Ryan meets with his mother, who's extremely, extremely concerned uh, about what is going on in Guyana. So uh, November 18th, again, 1978, 34 years now, Jim Jones has been at this and he's been in Guyana for a year, suffering the slings and arrows, as he says it. Well, Ryan goes with staff, politicians, lawyers, reporters, news crews, and four representatives of the concerned relatives. And they get to Jonestown where they're met with live music and food and a big party. There must have been a meeting. It's not necessarily documented in the research I found, but there had to be a meeting that when he's coming, we can't close the gates. It's not going to work out. He's a U.S. congressman. So let's show him. Let's show him a good time. Well, he's passed a note by a teenager that night that says, I want to leave with you. Help me, please. It's like something out of a movie. The next day, 16 others come forward. So Ryan has has looked things over and uh, they're getting ready to leave for the airport and someone comes at him with a knife. He's injured. Not seriously. He doesn't flip out and they proceed to the airstrip. So here we are in this airstrip just north of the Venezuela border and a truck full of people come up with rifles and start shooting at a U.S. congressman, other politicians, NBC news people. When all of the shooting is done, Ryan is dead. NBC newsman Don Harris is dead. A cameraman, a photographer for the San Francisco Examiner is dead. One People's Temple member is dead and five others are wounded. Now, this Larry Layton Jr. switched sides when the truck showed up. He got off the truck that was you know, with the people who are going to leave. And he went out with the shooters. Why is this Larry Layton important? His father was a board member of the People's Temple. Keep in mind, his mother had left and she was one of the people that contacted Ryan. Dr. Lawrence Layton was a former head of the Chemical Warfare Division of the U.S. Army. His wife's father, Hugo Phillip, was a German banker, stockbroker, and lawyer representing I.G. Farben and Siemens and Hausk, who made cyanide for the final solution. 
so when we look at these things and we begin to layer down, spiral down, the connections are amazing. So here's this kid who's being drugged and brainwashed. And his father, arguably, because you were nice enough to have Craig Ansel and me on the show to talk about MK Ultra and Edgewood Arsenal, the government was doing these mind control drug programs. So it's a weird link here, right? It's a weird link. So anyway, the last thing I think I want to say right now before the big carnage is that Leo Ryan is important. Leo Ryan was sponsoring the Hughes-Ryan Amendment at the time, which would have required the CIA to divulge their secret operations to Congress, something that they still don't do to this day. So there is lore that says that perhaps it was clean teams from the CIA who took out Ryan, who had infiltrated and that there were connections there. What we do know, the big tragedy is that the Guyanese government, after the shooting and all, goes back to the People's Temple. One-third of the 909 people who were lying dead are under 18 years old. Do you guys remember that? That one-third of the dead were kids? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He was calling Jim Jones was trying to to calm the mothers. They were going to die and their children with them. And he's calling out, oh, mothers. They're beseeching them to do as he says, because the reward is on the other side of death. Yeah. Yeah. That they're persecuted. It's gone down. Personally, I think whether you look, whether you go down the rabbit hole and you look at the CIA connections, I have a few other connections, you know, at the tail end of this discussion that I think are important to look at with another organization. Um, At the end of the day, I think he sent his people out there because it was a point of no return. When you kill a U.S. senator, I mean, congressman, they're going to come for you. So I think that was a push. But keep in mind, especially when we talk about uh, Heaven's Gate, as a contrast, um, they were injected. They were beaten. They had gunshot wounds. So these 909 people did not all go voluntarily. One of the things I want to say, in fairness to, we talk about drink the Kool-Aid, right? Someone who's really gone down the rabbit hole. Maybe some listeners now and from my past appearances are going, I think maybe Joey drank the purple Kool-Aid, but um, it was actually Flavor-Aid. So I think we have to give love to poor Kool-Aid. It was actually Flavor-Aid. Um, and the last thing I want to say, guys, is that, yes, yeah, strangled, shot, or injected, there is some controversy because the photos of Jim Jones that were shown, his tattoos that he was well known to have are not in those photos. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. And this is the time for us to take a break. Oh. There we can uh, talk about the denouement of uh, People's Temple, Guyana, the tragedy that, that took so many lives and some American lives, Americans who were there to get the truth and then to get the truth out to the public. And once we do that, we want to segue right into Heaven's Gate. They're a tragedy closer to uh, this time. And it just makes me wonder, you know, will some people ever learn or will we always have a certain demographic that is vulnerable to these megalomaniacs, these so-called visionaries and messianic leaders? Let's take a break. We'll be gone a couple of minutes. And when we come back, we're going to say the last that time will allow about the Jonestown massacre and move right into Heaven's Gate, which happened back, I believe, in 1997, not that long ago. Let's hope we never see anything like it again. We are Manson Mitchell, and we will be right back. (laughs) 
Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Joe Rombolo, making his triumphant return after eight years to talk about the business side of spirituality. On Saturday, Rose Kreider makes her debut with insights into film and television based on her years of experience as an actress, director, and runway model. Bringing you Mastery and Mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Ready to shake things up? Try Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Joey Medea, who is bringing us some very fascinating talk today about cults. Um, not uh, our usual topic and maybe not even Joey's usual topic because we've had him on before discussing the paranormal and pirates and all kinds of interesting things. A Renaissance man who's interested in many, many things. Joey, if people would like to find out about your books or or connect with you in some way, what is your website? What are your books? And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, let's just keep it real quick so we can keep diving into these cults. If you just search the internet for Joey, J-O-E-Y, M-A-D-I-A, uh, you will find all of my social media, Facebook and all the rest. I have an author page at Amazon and at Goodreads, and you can connect with me. Love to talk about this stuff. I do have a show, Into the Outer Realms, uh, which is a live stream with with guests, uh, all different kinds of topics. And that's uh, Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you. <clears throat> so let's let's wrap up as much as we can. What happened at Jonestown, the repercussions of that, and then we'll segue into Heaven's Gate. Yet another cult, in this one a, a spectacular disaster that uh, still intrigues and confuses and has people scratching their heads to this very day because the phenomenon is real and it seems to be distinctly American. 
certainly in some aspects of it. And we'd like to know more about that. But Jonestown, ultimately, what do we know for sure, Joey? Right. Well, there's a couple of takeaways. Within days, Secretary of State Cyrus Vance says, bury them all in Guyana in a mass grave. Get them buried and get it done with. The Guyanese government, again, I think people, you know, people have to be careful because you go, oh, they went to this this place and they went to Guyana that I've never heard of. And it's somewhere on the map and they probably aided and abetted. The Guyanese government was doing so much to try to keep these people in line, just gave the temporary. Um, so there was so much pushback from the Guyanese government that American soldiers bagged the remains and shipped them to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. But the idea that these American citizens were not going to be returned to America and be buried on American soil, that that gives me pause. The FBI was investigating reports that Jones had paid $10 million to a hit squad called the Angels to take out certain people. This report was taken so seriously that there were guards stationed at the mayor's office, Mayor Moscone's office, but it did little good because on November 27th, a man named Dan White, a supervisor, former supervisor, killed Moscone, killed Harvey Milk, uh, Milk's story is very famous due to the Sean Penn film. Um, he turned himself in and he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and served five years. Gary, you you told me about the Twinkie defense, if you want to mention that. Right, that it was a disorder that altered his ability to make rational judgments and actually drove him in some way to commit these murders that he just wasn't right in the mind. And derisively, because he got much less penalty than uh, and a much less of a sentence than anyone would have expected under those horrible circumstances and so popularly it became known as the twinkie defense yeah because it, it was the blood sugar you know i wasn't in my right mind well a lot of people who kill others say they're not in their right mind there but the idea is to get off a, a much tougher sentence and he did that and ultimately i don't think he could live with himself because later dan white after he was no longer in prison, as I recall, did commit suicide. Yeah. And, and that's just another, this case, you know, the, the heaven's gate is so different, but I just want to say to folks, look up world vision and international evangelical order. Look for names like, uh, Mark David Chapman. Look for names like John Hinckley senior and John Hinckley junior and do some research on that and see what you might find out. Thank you for that, Joey. Uh, let's um a very different cult. Yeah. You wanted yeah. to uh you wanted to juxtapose the two because of, of their difference in motivation, Gary. Uh, it's such a study in contrast. It really is in terms of motivation, particularly. That's right, Suzanne. We're talking about Heaven's Gate. We're even talking about the comet Hale Bop. We're talking about UFOs and Christianity and what well, I'm lost. I'm out in the weeds already. And yet something happened that is unforgettable. And God help us if something like this can happen again and again. We need the enlightenment. We need the awareness. Tell us about Heaven's Gate. Yeah. So first thing I want to say is on the break, Suzanne had asked about Jim Jones's early background and he got into Pentecostalism really, really early, uh, became an advocate for it. And by 24 was, was running his own operation. So this is a different kind of thing. I want to ask the audience to think back in your memory. Think of an older male, balding man with his eyes kind of wide open in a fire who wears a tan button up shirt and sits in front of a plain blue curtain. He looks into the camera and he says, 
Planet Earth is about to be recycled. Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. And that was Marshall Applewhite with Heaven's Gate. Childhood really comes into play with Marshall Applewhite. He was the son of a Presbyterian preacher, and they fought constantly. Now, he had a degree in philosophy, so he was a big thinker, abstract com- um you know, abstract ideas. He was, he, then he studied at a Presbyterian seminary school in Virginia. He was also a talented actor and musician, which may have played into his, um, into his cult of personality. He became a voice professor, but he was a homosexual and he was fired for an inappropriate relationship with a student. I think part of the reason why he fought with his father was for that same reason. So he winds up in the hospital. Marshall Applewhite was a man who struggled with his identity, with his dichotomies throughout his entire life. While he's in the hospital, some of the lore says, but there's a possibility that while he was in the hospital seeking treatment for his homosexuality, this was in 1972, he meets a woman named Bonnie Nettles. She's a nurse who's recently divorced. She has children. She sees him as a prophet. She sees him as a figure. I imagine he's sitting in this room. He's very disturbed. Word is, is he's trying to solve the unsolvable through medicine. Uh, He's trying to get grips with his, his life and who he is. And she sees this troubled man and they convince each other that they're both end time witnesses who are mentioned in Revelation 11 and that they've met in previous lives because He's been having voices. He's been having apocalyptic visions. And as a nurse, instead of her saying, we're going to get you a treatment program, we're going to help you through this. We're going to have people to talk to you. She uh, capitalizes on it. She capitalizes on it. She begins to chart his stars. She summoned the dead through seances. And she professes to take advice from a 19th century monk named Brother Francis. I'm not sure that Marshall Applewhite, the head of Heaven's Gate, would have become Marshall Applewhite, head of Heaven's Gate, if it wasn't for the partnership with Bonnie Nettles. They um, are a little bit of Bonnie and Clyde. They're a little bit of Thelma and Louise going out on the road committing crimes, mostly check fraud. And they actually wind up in prison for a while. So this is another one of those things that I started uh, at the top of the show talking about where this could have stopped. This could have stopped. But while he's in prison, I believe for four years, Marshall Applewhite is forming his theology. He's saying he reminds me of another person that did time in prison in Europe, wrote a book and then came out, you know, ready to ready to rock. So we have to keep in mind when this is that they're getting going. It's the 60s and 70s. It's the UFO craze. It's Eric Von Daniken's Chariots of the Gods. It's the hippies. It's the counterculture. It's spiritual ascension. And hey, I'm up on the chain and I'm a lot closer through reincarnation and all to be a bodhisattva to get a really nice place in heaven. And it's certainly a time for a search for meaning. So they name themselves the two. (laughs) They start small 
and they're interfeeding. They do. They get arrested for stolen credit cards and said all that. They wind up going to California. They go to a UFO meeting because now they're really talking UFOs. They're talking ascended beings. They're talking about that rich overlap that Von Daniken really brought to us with ancient aliens. And um, they say, who's coming with us? Who's coming with us? And about 20 of 200 people go with them. But they're on their way to meet 400 other people because a UFO is due to come down and pick them all up. Now, interestingly, the UFO never shows up, but they don't lose their credibility. Just just the opposite. They go to Texas, they form a commune, they start preparing disciplines that will help people reach higher levels, very ascetic kind of stuff. Everybody wears the same clothes. So it was here that everybody was dressed the same. It wasn't just for the occasion of the suicide. They all cut their hair very short. Men and women are now perceived as androgynous. All of that goes away. We're just members. Okay. Um, Apple White and Nettles are calling themselves Doe and T, like uh, on the musical scale. They call themselves Bo and Peep. They call themselves Nimcum and Poop. So it's a little bit of this twisted comedy show, but yet they're getting these people to follow them. Then they get people to renounce their families, uh, to have this asexual appearance. And then they get into castration. They get into castration, and I can't help but think that maybe some of Marshall's um, sexual identity problems somehow translated in this need to ascend that, right? If that is your psychic fracture, you have to ascend above it, and that might have been the seeds. And again, he's working with a nurse who probably should have known better. So the group, everybody gets assigned a new name, Jamodi, Alodi, Gabodi, the devices, a consonant two consonants and Odie. Odie is like calling me Joey instead of Joseph, uh, calling someone Billy instead of William, because they're all children. They're all children in this UFO called getting ready to go up. Most they ever have is 200 members. People start leaving. It's getting weird. People are voluntarily castrating. This becomes really important. The night of the first castration, Applewhite was so horrified that he wanted to turn himself into the police. This was in, you know, the 1970s. And it was the members of the group, not yet called Heaven's Gate, but the group who talked him out of it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? It was the group that said, no, you have a destiny. We're following your destiny. You're going to get us. Lifted up by the mothership. You're going to take us to the next great place. Um, and you know, Joey, this, let, me, yeah. let me interpose. Please, please. For, forgive my laughter. I don't know. I'm really bordering on the inappropriate here. but oh, don't, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> that's why I need to do it. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm not in my right mind. There, David Letterman on his show, when all, when all was over, okay? When yeah. we, we knew as much of the story as we were going to know in the immediate aftermath. David Letterman audaciously held up a mock magazine on his program, and he said, Marshall Applewhite is featured on the cover of this month's issue of Castrated Maniac. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's like yeah. on his late night show. But it was like, here's what it highlights. Of course it's crazy. Of course, all of this is, is so terribly wrong. That didn't stop it from happening. Mm. 
And we look back on it with shock and awe as well as grief and some anger. How could these people let this happen to themselves? Well, they were willing. They were willing participants. So he talked about the fact that they were going to go up fully ascended, right? Almost like a rapture kind of thing. They're just going to go up and they're just going to be gone. They're going to go to this next great place. Um, But in 1985, Bonnie Nettles dies of cancer. Whoa, this is a serious problem. One of the co-founders of the group has died. Her body's dust. So he has to make a big adjustment. This is where he begins changing his teaching. He says, no, no, no. We're going to leave the bodies behind when we ascend. Uh, But no suicide is necessary. No suicide is necessary. We'll be beamed up out of our bodies when the spacecraft arrives. And his latest, 94, that's the message. So there isn't this implantation of we have to kill ourselves in order to do this. We're just going to get ascended. Hey, guys, I'm human. And the world is a crazy place right now. And some days I wake up in the morning and go, hey, you know, I've been speaking the word of the mothership for a long time. So if you guys want to stop by and grab me on your way to, you know, wherever you go and come pick me up. So I get it. Right. Um, I do want to say, Gary, that uh, David Letterman wasn't the only one. I mean, Saturday Night Live is famous for doing skits on crazy cults. Right. Yeah. You know, it's a way through satire. It becomes an expose if people have the eyes and ears to perceive what's going on at its depths. Yeah, that's it. And I also think, right, it's cognitive dissonance. It's it's psychic management. The idea that this would happen is so overwhelming to us, just like serial killers. Right. Like people who go. I lived next door to him in the apartment. He seemed like a nice guy. Um, what's his name there? The clown, Gacy, right? He had these I bodies was buried. about Gacy because I lived in Chicago yeah. and yeah. he had all those young men buried under his basement. Yeah. And, and he just seemed, if you took a look at him going in and out of his house, he looked like any other middle-aged guy in Chicago. Went to an event. No different. He had his picture taken with Rosalind Carter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, other than you think of the Night Stalker, right, whose name is escaping me out in California, people don't go, I knew I knew there was something off about that guy from day one. No, it's this charm. And that's why, Suzanne, that loops all the way back to your opening statement. This cult of personality, this charming person. You know, we're going to do a show next month on Nexium and and the Manson family uh, because uh, that's a cult of personality. That's crazy people who make people do crazy crazy things so by 92 they're taking out full page ads in usa today they have a satellite television program be called beyond human they get in on the ground floor of website design that's how they fund their operation by designing websites for people and they also have their own and that's where the name heaven's gate comes from on their website they offer a gate to heaven um so then the comet comes, right, Gary, that you mentioned. The Hellbop comet is approaching Earth. And Emory University, not a run-of-the-mill, highly, highly respected university, Emory, right? A professor named Courtney Brown claims that she's having communication with psychics who are communicating with higher beings that are saying that there's a UFO in the tail of the comet. An Emory University professor. So this is the birth of the millennial 
cult, right? Although they've been other places. So now we're pushing towards the new millennium. We all had our own cult on New Year's Eve in America, uh, right before the ball dropped for 2000. You remember what that cult was called? Y2K. Well, yeah, Y2K, and, and nothing's going to work after midnight. They even right? had a, the banks aren't going to work. You won't be able to get gas at a gas station. You won't you, be able you, to flush toilets. You won't be able to grocery shop. None of the credit cards are going to work. I can yeah. remember all the craziness around Y2K. Yeah, Tanya yeah. bought two years of groceries in about two months uh, that were down <laughs> in our basement in all of these cabinets. And anybody who knows my wife, she's been on this show several times. She's a wonderful, awesome, ration, uh, rational, very powerful, intellectual person. And yeah. she got caught in. So this is all happening, right? It's all happening. So um, this is Apple White's big chance. Everything is combining now. He claims that the earth will be wiped clean. And so near San Diego, this is March 22 through 26, um, the FBI investigators, the forensics people put it all together. They're in a mansion. There's 39 of them left. All of them, they have a nice meal together, their last meal. It's very biblical in a way. And they all make videos. And you can see these videos in documentaries. And if you search the internet, you can watch these videos. They're out there. There's still a Heaven's Gate website. Um, you know, it's all very interesting. They're in matching black sweatpants. They have shirts with the Heaven's Gate away team. It's just a triangle. Almost looks like a NASA mission patch, really. They're all wearing Nike decades. But they, in their pockets, they have a recipe. Take these sleeping pills, mash them up in some applesauce or some pudding, Wash it down with some vodka, lay back, relax, think good thoughts, let the sleeping pills do their work. And there is evidence that uh, maybe some trash bags were put over their heads to um, help speed things along. They lay down. They all have purple shrouds over their bodies. They die in three sessions over two days. Um, all voluntary. All voluntary. Um, this is very different than Guyana. And all of my research tells me that Marshall Applewhite went in the second of the three groups, which speaks volumes, speaks volumes about the dynamic. It harkens back to the first castration where he wanted to turn himself into the police. And they said, no, please don't. Um, this is not forced. The people believe in it. This is not suicide. This is ascension to a higher plane where the ascended beings are going to take them to a better place that they deserve. And that's that's it. Two other people who had left Heaven's Gate committed suicide after. I think out of guilt or the fact that, oh, well, maybe they'll take me. Maybe they'll take me. Maybe there'll be room in the mothership for me. And there is survivor's guilt. Yeah. Absolutely. So We're down to our last minute here. Yeah. There, but this is a wonderful, wonderful, though harrowing, but important exposition of what goes on in a subculture within American society. And somewhere it's going on even now. You can bet your bottom dollar. Let's hope the tragedy can be averted next time. Thank you, Joey Medea. We love it when you come and visit us. I'm already thinking about your next visit. I'm sure it'll be as good or better than this one. We thank you kindly, and we look forward to meeting up on air again.
Thank you so much. I love my Sinister Saturdays with you. (laughs) (laughs) Join us next Friday. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have yourselves a great, happy, joyful weekend and a great week ahead.